Friends, Sci-Fi is back for 2021. First warning straight off the bat, this show is not for kids. Definitely not. No kids. No exceptions. Except for smart ones. Sci-Fi is a quarterly science comedy debate where scientists and comedians come together to debate serious topics in a ridiculous manner. This round's topic, Scientists Go to Heaven. Come now virtually to the Brunswick Ballroom and enjoy a bite and a beverage as we get belligerent and biblical. Friends, welcome to Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate! That is the right response. It's so wonderful to have you here. Sci-Fi has been asleep for over a year. I'm so excited to be back. It's great to have you. I'll calm down, I promise. Uh, Who's been to a Sci-Fi before? Make some noise. Great. I'm so glad to see you made it through the last year. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, For those who've not been before, uh, I'll tell you what this is all about. Sci-Fi is a place where we bring together some of the sharpest minds from science and from comedy and we make them debate critical issues in a very silly way. Sort of like the comments section if you gave it a stage and a bar tab. That's what's happening. My name's Alanta. Uh, I'm your host uh, and adjudicator tonight. It is my job to keep this whole event uh, on time and out of court. So wish me luck. Tonight, uh, we have, we're asking the question that the science journals are too scared to ask. We're asking, do scientists go to heaven? Now, we know scientists do God's work. They seek the truth, divorced from opinion or ambition. They do their research with diligence, patience and humility sometimes even sober, that is most of the seven heavenly virtues right up there. Uh, Now, Pope Francis did say that you don't actually have to believe in God to go to heaven, though it is rude to blank him once you're there (laughs) at the weekly bingo tournament. Aside from all that, those scientists brought us landmines, they brought us fracking, they brought us the Lynx Africa body spray. Can any amount of Hail Marys wash away the sins of shower in a can? If Richard Dawkins is in heaven, is it heaven? (laughs) To answer absolutely none of these questions and so much more, please make some noise for the angelic affirmative. It is Jess Nithyan Antharaja. (laughs) Jess, you can come down the stairs now. We also have Elizabeth Flux and Sam Peterson. I made them turn the light off before they left upstairs to save electricity. So that was the delay. They had. <laughs> it was a faith-based exercise. All right, to make some noise on the negative, who have fallen from grace and in your face, it is Owen Collins. Nicholas J. Johnson and Scout Boxall. I don't know if this is any indication of how tonight's going to go, but affirmative, the negative were much faster down the stairs. 
not you're not pleased with this. All right, uh, before we kick off with the debate, uh, let us check in with our debaters, see how they're going. We'll kick off with you, Sam. Um, what, what's your favourite thing about God? Oh, where do I start? He is. He moves in mysterious ways. Classic. Uh, he. Oh God, he's good. He he created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. He created the after that. Of course, the five day working week after that because he works so hard. Uh, and I, I think I love that. I just think I obviously agree, believe in him because I'm on the affirmative team tonight. And and you know, so legally, yes. Uh, <laughs> But oh, I just think he's done some wonderful stuff and he just keeps on creating every day and he's always there for you, lol. Um, no, no, he, no he, he is, though. He is. Please do not use that against me, negative 10. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Let's throw it to see what the negative have to say after that. Uh, Owen, hello. Owen, there you are. Hello. <laughs> hello, everybody. Broken. No, that's two. Yeah. So many things <laughs> since we've been up here. Balance, as all things should be. Now, Owen, you're, I mean, you're many things. You're a science communicator. Now, you've worked at the aquarium and the zoo. I was just wondering, is there any animal that you get at both of those enclosures? <laughs> Humans. <Hey>. Specifically, <laughs> year nine high school boys. <laughs> Animals, there's a lot of them. Which enclosure should they be in? There are a number of terrible answers. I want to say lion enclosure. <laughs> Is that why you're no longer working at the aquarium in the zoo? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Welcome back, Owen. Oh, it's great to have you. Nicholas J. Johnson. Got some fans in. Hooray. <laughs> Quiet and yet enthusiastic fans. Yes. Good. And um, very few of them. <laughs> there'll be more before the night's out. You're a science communicator as well and a magician and an author. Yes. Um, what would a magician's hell look like? Oh, um, I, I'm not sure. I think that, I, to be honest, I think, feel like we would be offered jobs down there. Like we would just be, like we would just be interrupting people's dinner with card tricks or hitting on women. Like, do you know, kind of pick up artist style. Like we already have the top hats. Right. And I think that's, I think that's really where we are. Okay. That's really our strength. It's is good just taking, taking hell people. wherever you are. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that, I feel we'd ride at home, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> So glad you're here tonight. We'll, we'll pass to you, Scout. Thank you for coming to Sci-Fi. Hello. Before you ask me a question, first rebuttal of the night. Uh, <laughs> wasn't God. He came up with the five-day working week, mate. That was the unions. So uh, <laughs> respect where it's due. Thank you. I did say after. I did say after. So no. I okay. Well, well we can no, split gonna, hairs about it all night. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Just a little taste. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a union member. You reckon? Is God a union member? Yeah. No, he's a fucking boss. <laughs> You've just put a whole new strata on Marxism that I was not aware was there. You're welcome. <laughs> he does, yeah, he's actually a freelancer. He does work his own hours, work from home. <laughs> also, he's like a family business, like his son's involved, but is yeah. the kid getting paid? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, does he, get, does he have working rights and protections? I don't know. Or is he an influencer? Would you go that far? Is God an influencer? <laughs> I thought this was going to be a highbrow debate. Yeah. No one promised that, no. Scout, you've been brilliant. Thank you, and I'm very glad you're here. Before we kick off with the debate, here are the rules. Uh, tonight's going to be a civilised debate. All evidence pointing to that so far. Um, this is a reminder to both teams not to defame the opposition. Uh, that'll stop... 
Don't say anything that's going to get any of us kicked out of heaven. Um, now, each debater has eight minutes to present their case to you. If anyone goes longer, I will start singing Amazing Grace. And there will be nothing holy about that. Uh, at the end of the debate, I will call on you, the audience, to cheer for the side that you think was the most convincing. And uh, my ears shall be the instrument with which we measure who won tonight. Oh, yes, it's not very scientific. And no, I'm not changing it. So <laughs> our first speaker tonight is Associate Professor G uh, Jess Nithyan Natharaja. Uh, she's an Australian Research Council Future Fellow and heads the Synapse Biology and Cognition Laboratory at the Flory Institute for Neuroscience and Mental Health. I think we've won. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Someone stacked the room. Good to know. Now, her work involves the development of rodent touchscreen cognitive tests which helps to model complex mental processes in animals. I assume when you visit Jess's lab, you just find a bunch of rats playing Candy Crush. <laughs> Here to tell us why she is doing God's work is, please welcome to the stage, Associate Professor Jess. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, everyone. Good evening. I just want to start by saying it's Dr. Jess, <laughs> um, and it's a really uh, great delight to be here as the fully-fledged scientist on the panel. Um, are there any scientists in the audience tonight? <laughs> Actually, on that note, are there any real scientists on the negative team? <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, got a, we got a scientist in the centre yeah, here, yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. I got one of those PhD things. Mm. Mm. So as the scientist, not only am I excited that I get to talk to you about whether scientists go to heaven, based on my extensive field knowledge, but after last year and the pause in sci-fi, how great is it to be back? And Australia wouldn't be in this positive situation if it wasn't for the scientifically based decisions that we've made. So cheers to science, everyone. But back to the discussion at hand that scientists do go to heaven. I want to make sure we start with the facts so that we have an evidence-based discussion. None of this hand-waving stuff that this negative team is about to try and sell you tonight. <laughs> so let's start with some definitions. Who or what is a scientist? Well, you're looking at one. <laughs> oh, oh you, you want more? Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so let's do some words. The official definition of a scientist is someone who systematically gathers and uses research and evidence to gain understanding and knowledge about the natural world. So what is heaven? Well, there are two main definitions. The first is a place regarded in various religions where God or gods are thought to reside and uh, where people that are good are believed to go after they die, traditionally depicted in the sky. The second is the sky where the sun, the moon, the stars and planets are located. So my fellow teammate Liz will explore the definition of heaven being the place where God or gods reside. But the thing that both these definitions share is the theme that heaven involves the sky. Highlighting, I think, that we all agree that heaven is part of the architecture of the universe. Whether you think about wispy clouds or that wind in your hair feeling as you float around... 
Heaven is really just a component and part of the universe. And that, my dear friends, is the fact that we and everything in the universe is ultimately made up of molecules and chemical elements. Yeah, that's right. You heard it. (laughs) The (laughs) The universe is really governed by science. So whether it's life as we know it in our physical, biological bodies, made up of molecules, or the afterlife, where the essence of our souls is represented by molecules, the real fact is that all of us essentially exist in different energy states. After inhabiting the world in the physical sense, the body's molecules melt into the energy and the matter of the universe to become part of the atmosphere, which goes to the point that clearly everyone goes to heaven and so do scientists. <laughs> so let's reflect on what scientists do. They painstakingly devote their lives to seek truth. <laughs> and fundamentally try and understand the world through science and the blood and sweat and tears of scientists, we have today the wonders of medical treatments. And if we look around, almost everything that you see has the input of scientists. So of course they're going to go to heaven. If the gates to heaven were like the vaccine rollout, They would be that phase 1A, you know, that valued part of society that needs priority protection. But let's hope those gates aren't using our political leaders as bouncers because, let's be honest, entry would be at a snail's pace. (laughs) Now, some of you may have heard that Britain's most eminent scientist, Stephen Hawking, dismissed the idea of heaven or an afterlife. But let's really be clear about what he said. Now, Stephen firmly rejected religious notions, but he really strongly believed in the existence Um, that our existence was founded in the biological nature. He regarded the brain as a computer, which will stop working when all the components fail. There's no heaven, he said, or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. So we agree with Stephen. Broken down computers don't go to heaven. Humans and scientists do. (laughs) But I don't want you to just take my word for it because I am a scientist. Let me tell you about heaven and how that's been empirically investigated through the science of near-death experiences. (laughs) Now, you might have heard of a book by Dr. Eben Alexander called The Proof of Heaven. Now, Eben is an American neurosurgeon who in 2008 fell victim to a rare form of bacterial meningitis that landed him in a week-long coma. After many days of antibiotics um, that failed to yield any improvement, Eben Alexander's prospects of survival were very slim. Yet, he inexplicably recovered completely. His book chronicles a near-death experience that, according to prevailing scientific theories, should never have happened. Eben Alexander is one of many who, despite the very different circumstances that led them to have their near-death experiences, all report similar details. The idea of floating above their bodies where while medical personnel attend to them, feeling a complete sense of peace and encountering that light in the tunnel. For over 50 years, medical science has explained near-death experiences as a result of changes in consciousness and the gradual shutting down of brain cells that govern higher-order cognitive functions. As a neurosurgeon, Eben Alexander now works to bridge the gap between our materialist understanding of a soulness, our somewhat mechanistic universe and these new empirical discoveries in quantum mechanics and the domains of consciousness and spirituality. In one of his books, The Map to Heaven, he explores concepts that bring together science, religion and ancient wisdom 
from luminaries such as Plato, the Dalai Lama and Carl Jung. So this is all just to say that at the heart of this debate is our understanding of the nature of human consciousness. Whether human consciousness is purely the product of the brain's physical functions or whether it's about energy and particles that transcend levels of reality that are non-physical, this is something that scientists are continuing to crack. So in summary, like all scientific questions, I challenge the negative team to provide a robust scientific evidence that scientists, and more precisely people, don't indeed go to heavens in the universe. And you know, you know, and you know that saying, trust me, I'm a doctor? Well, all I can say is, trust me, I am a doctor. <laughs> and scientists do go to heaven. <laughs> Dr Jess... strong start we've got definitions we've got sledges it's all happening we're we're off off and racing my good friends um uh before we kick off with our next debater i did want to share with you some science news that came out this week researchers are done with the existential questions like can ai experience feeling or can ai fall in love they've gone the whole way to the final question the boss question Can AI understand sarcasm? Oh, really? Oh, dear. Researchers at the University of Central Florida have developed artificial intelligence that can detect sarcasm on social media. And apparently this is a huge... Sarcasm is a huge problem on social media for AI in the analysis of customer feedback. (laughs) When user hippiechick429 posts, I simply love the new iPhone, can't get enough of the battery dying and the screen freezing makes me look forward to the heat death of the universe swallowing me up. (laughs) iPhone's customer service bots have been thanking them for their feedback (laughs) and marking them down as another happy customer. It's been really hard for computer researchers to get just the right level of sarcasm sensitivity for the bots who are surveilling Twitter. For example, when Trump declared on Twitter that he was going to build a wall, all of Russia's political surveillance bots just assumed he was joking. (laughs) Teaching AI to be fluent in sarcasm could have all sorts of consequences. I mean, yes, it will enable AI to enjoy the full cohort of early 90s sitcoms, including The Simpsons and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But there is a risk that they'll start serving sarcasm back at humans So it's less, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave, and more, sure, Dave, I'll do that straight after I finish baking you a cake. (laughs) We've got to be careful what we wish for. What we do wish for is our next speaker for the negative, Owen Collins, who, as a lifelong sceptic, grew up watching MacGyver and reading reference books for fun and has since weaponized ADHD into a career in science communication. (laughs) As a professional nerd, he was worked for science centres, science festivals, aquariums and zoos. He currently works at ScienceWorks where he's trying to get permission to show Eurovision in the dome of the planetarium. <laughs> the views he is about to express do not represent the views of his current employer. <laughs> nor do they represent the views of the nuns at his Catholic primary school. 
who will be very disappointed, but probably not surprised. Please welcome to the stage, Owen Collins! Hello, Scifites. So, just quickly to address one of the points from the last speaker. Uh, That moment that people talk about in near-death experiences, uh, that's actually something called hypoxia where you start to run out of oxygen and your brain just sends stimulus. Essentially, it's the computer having a blue screen of death. (laughs) That's not proof of the afterlife. That's just proof that we need to be rebooted somehow. (laughs) But to the topic at hand, scientists are not going to heaven. No one is going to heaven. (laughs) You could be forgiven, gentle listener, for assuming that I, as an advocate for the sciences, am going to argue that heaven does not exist. So, of course, no one is going there. This is a fairly standard position amongst the sciences, and I would have an abundance of work from philosophers, theologians, and orators with far more skill than my own to draw upon. But the existence of heaven is not the topic of this debate. The topic is that scientists go to heaven, And contained within this is the implicit assumption that there is a heaven for scientists to go to. With that in mind, and in keeping with the spirit of Sci-Fight, I return to my opening statement. Scientists are not going to heaven. No one is going to heaven. Because God is a judgmental prick. From the earliest days of organized religion, the idea that an eternal reward awaits you in the afterlife has been central to most of them. But equally central is the idea that this reward is not for everyone. (laughs) If you want to get into heaven, you must follow the rules. So, what are the rules? Well, first, the big ones. Uh, Obviously, if you're a different religion, then you're not getting in. Which religion? The other ones. (laughs) If you are part of this specific religion, but you haven't been baptised or otherwise uh, induced into this religion, then you're not getting in. Uh, There's even some debate within uh, certain branches of faith as to what baptismal style is the most effective. Is it a light sprinkling? Is it a full dunking? I mean, come on, God, how wet do you want me? (laughs) That line read better on the page. Even if you are in the religion, you could be accused of blasphemy, saying disrespectful things about the religion. You could be accused of heresy, basically questioning how things are done. Not hard to see how scientists in particular are going to get shafted on that one. (laughs) There are at least ten commandments. And yes, I choose my words very carefully there. I say at least, because depending on which draft you're looking at, There could be anywhere up to 14, maybe in some cases 25 commandments contained within the stone tablets. Uh, Add to this, you've got the seven deadly sins. You've got the eternal sins, obviously. There's the mortal sins. These are different to the deadly sins. Uh, And suddenly the local RSL is looking way more relaxed about their entry policies. Because really, how hard is it to find a shirt and shoes? There are far too many instructions for me to list them all. So, the following is an incomplete, but I think illustrative, 
alliteration of things of which the Lord your God doth not approve. <laughs> As I'm going through this, is it possible to get like house lights up a little? Because I thought it might be fun to get a little show of hands from everyone just to <laughs> see if any of these apply to us. Get an idea of like the company that we're keeping at the moment. Uh, so, God does not like wearing clothing woven of more than one kind of cloth. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> there we go. Eating meat mixed with dairy. Eating sea creatures that don't have fins or scales. Cutting the hair on the sides of your head, clipping of the edges of your beard, or putting tattoo marks on yourself. And, <laughs> and as a side note, I'd just like to say what a pleasure it is to be here in the Brunswick Ballroom. <laughs> Eating leavened bread during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. That's Passover for any of the Gentiles in the audience. Passover is usually like mid-March, mid-April for any of the Gentiles in the audience. Just in case any of you were concerned that your bread consumption was the thing keeping you out of heaven. <laughs> Which it is, but it's not the only thing keeping you out of heaven. Uh, practicing magic. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Consulting a psychic or spiritualist. Being a psychic or spiritualist. <laughs> of course, if you are, then you knew I was going to say that. Hey. <laughs> Being in a town that believes in a different god. So just, like, passing through? Can I ask for directions? Uh, not constraining a bull that is known to be dangerous if that bull subsequently kills someone. <laughs> was not honestly expecting any hands up for that one, but it's good to know. Cursing your parents. <laughs> Being a stubborn, rebellious, profligate, and drunkard son. Being a male who is uncircumcised. <laughs> okay, it looks like my hand is staying right there. Um, too much information for a Thursday night. Too late, we're in this now. I could go on, but you get the idea. The whole holy host of rules, regulations and guidelines for admission into heaven are so numerous and obscure, and in many cases, contradictory, that it would take some sort of miracle to achieve entry. And who is it that controls all the miracles again? <laughs> oh, that seems very convenient. Even the miracle workers themselves are not guaranteed entry. St. Peter, himself an apostle and close friend of the Son of God, doesn't actually get to go into heaven. He has to sit out the front like some sort of celestial bouncer. <laughs> oh, yes, heaven is the most exclusive of clubs, and you are not getting in. Not no shoes. <laughs> They're made of two different fabrics. <laughs> it is said that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Even very relaxed interpretations of this passage imply that you at least have to be generous and share your good fortune, or possibly be a camel. <laughs> Biblical scholarship is curiously light on the subject of wealthy camels and their eligibility for heaven. But that feels like a subject for another time. It's 
actually kind of genius. Do as we say, and you'll get to go to this amazing place, just the best place ever, literally. No other place can possibly be as good as this place. How do you get there? Oh, oh, it's quite simple. All you have to do is follow all of these rules, plus some others that we haven't told you about. Uh, preferably, you'll be getting everyone around you to follow these rules uh, for your entire life, and then at the end, you get to go to heaven. The end of your life, yes. Uh, can you talk to anyone who's already gone there? Well, no, because they're dead. So how do we know that it's the best place if we can't talk to the dead? Oh, God told us. Yeah, talks to us all the time. Yeah. Can you talk to God? No. No. They told us to tell you that they're busy. Okay? Great. Now just dunk the child's head under the water. It is at this point that an incorrigible cynic would assume that these rules are nothing more than a system of control. Another example of a calcified patriarchy designing a system to ensure that only a select few remain at the top while others are scrabbling for a reward that doesn't actually exist. But I am not an incorrigible cynic. No, far simpler to just assume that God doesn't actually want us there. Look, I don't actually know what happens when we die. And you should probably be deeply suspicious of anyone who tells you that they do. (laughs) But one thing seems very clear. According to the rules that they themselves have, apparently, passed down to us from on high, God is not letting anyone through the pearly gates, least of all scientists. If they truly loved us and wanted us to join them in the eternal reward, why make it so hard to actually get up there? All they've done is set up a complicated game of moral whack-a-mole that is completely unwinnable, and nothing we do is ever going to be good enough for them, and we can never live up to the impossible standards that you've set out for us. Can we, Dad? (laughs) I mean, I mean, God. (laughs) Obviously. Don't read into it. In conclusion, no. Scientists are not getting into heaven. No one is getting into heaven. God obviously doesn't want us up there messing things up like we have down here. Thank you. The optimistic Owen Collins. Moral Whack-A-Mole is actually my drag king name, so. Uh, In some more science news that is definitely unholy, uh, new research has found that rats, mice and pigs have some capacity for intestinal breathing. To put it simply, mammals can breathe through their asses. We all wanted to know if that was the case. Uh, As opposed to politicians who just talk at them? Why do you keep stealing all my punchlines, Owen? It's like I was going for the lowest hanging fruit. It's fine. I'll just just not say that. Uh, I expected more of you, obviously. Yeah, and I expected less uh, of you. There is all sorts of applications of, of this. You know, liquid oxygen ventilation systems could have, I mean seriously amazing outcomes for patients with respiratory illnesses such as COVID. But I'm more interested in the non-medical applications 
as well. I mean, having an oxygen tank like strapped to your face when you're climbing the world's highest mountains is really cumbersome. I'm just imagining, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary at the top of the world's tallest mountain with a big beam on his face, no one aware that he's having a liquid oxygen enema. (laughs) That's just between him and his trousers. Uh, That's enough of that story. We're going to (laughs) go... Our second speaker for the affirmative only uses the top of half of her body to communicate. Elizabeth Flux is an award-winning writer and editor with a confusing origin story. Uh, she studied medicine for a while but isn't a doctor. Uh, she has a health science degree but isn't a health scientist. She has two debating medals for debates that she wasn't in. <laughs> She's got a lot of explaining to do. Welcome to the stage, Elizabeth Flux. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Flux, um, and I'm here to explain exactly why scientists go to heaven. The first challenge is reading my handwriting, but um, I think we'll struggle on. (laughs) I have numbered it. Um, I hope it's okay to slightly rebut Atlanta as well as Owen. Um, I'll allow it. Who just described you as a lifelong skeptic, but I'm skeptical about that because if I was given the option of not being born, I was like, okay, I'm here in a safe place right now. Do you want to go through to the screaming other place full of light that you know nothing about I would probably choose not to so I don't really think you have been a lifelong skeptic maybe (laughs) would have been nice to get a choice I mean prove it (laughs) Um, I also wanted to thank you for bringing up that thing about hypoxia Um, that was very kind of you because you're kind of saying like oh it's actually just brainish and you're imagining it that's kind of actually like when you die are you breathing is there oxygen or is it also like hypoxia and then like Basically, a near-death experience is like a trailer of what comes next, so you've just sort of fed into our side. So you're welcome to join. You seem to have some, some science chops. But after he he next, told us he wanted to join our team. He actually he say that up in the green room. So um, sorry. I'll see how this one plays out first. Um, you also said that this debate is not about the existence of heaven. Like, by the definition, it exists in this debate, and we completely agree with you. In fact, we have two definitions of of heaven that Jess brought up, which I think is actually pretty generous because yours is very narrow. Like, it seems like it's coming from just one book, like one source that has actually pretty sketchy origins. Like, I don't know if I want to bring my whole debate from, like, some pots that some guy found in a cave, but <laughs> you do you. <laughs> I wanted to thank you for one more thing. Thank you for making your entire speech about the rules of getting you into heaven because... It was very diverting, but it's actually entirely irrelevant because we're arguing that everyone goes to heaven so the rules are actually relevant. You can dunk your baby in water. You can, like, pray and stuff. You can put money in the church tray. You can do other religious things. I've never been to church. I don't know what you do there. Um, <laughs> that's all irrelevant. We're all going. It's not we're not all going. It's like we're all going. Your thing was wrong. That's what... <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Well, I feel rebuffed. (laughs) (laughs) One final thing. You you had a whole thing about how, like, if God doesn't want us in heaven, if he didn't want us in heaven, he made us. He could have made us immortal. We'll stay here. It's a bit shit. Like, he doesn't have to make a separate hell. So, yeah. We're going where he is. So, all right. Now onto the bit that I actually probably can read. The light is quite blue and there's a shadow. So we'll see how this goes. Um, I can't look any... I can look you in the eye, um, so I won't. (laughs) 
I will. Let's just thank you. All right. <laughs> so as Jess has pointed out already, it is a scientific fact that pretty much all of the elements that make up our bodies originated in a star. And so at one point, we were already in the heavens, as in the ones in the sky. So now couple that with the philosophical concept of eternal return, which is basically that we're all going around in circles. So we've done this before. Like, we've done everything before. And we'll do it again. So the Big Bang... Wait, this is, this is what I, like, you said that last time. <laughs> the Big Bang happens. Fish climb out of the sea. My parents meet on a bus. <laughs> Black Lace write, write the best song of all time, Agadu. <laughs> I stand here. I say that I'm standing here. That person over there thinks, wait, did she say Agadu is the best song of all time? <laughs> I follow that up by mentally rickrolling everyone in this room by saying this sentence. And then we fast forward past this moment The other team loses At 70 I finally get told What negative gearing means And I frown The sun explodes Not right afterwards But like pretty close The universe ends And then the big bang happens And it all happens again Like that's a pretty big blow to free will, but at least it seems like we've got free will at the time, so there's that. <laughs> so this concept was apparently first articulated in ancient Egypt and then proven with maths in 1871 by Louis-Auguste Blanqui, who was not a mathematician, but incidentally whose portraits strongly imply a beret, even though he's not wearing one. <laughs> I've included a picture on my Instagram stories, but I'd, I'd advise against looking because they're very boring and there's a lot of my cats. <laughs> But um, actually, this concept was invented by me in year 10 as a way of explaining deja vu because we're just, like, remembering the fact that we've done this before, like, probably hundreds of thousands of times, and we're going to do it again. Um, so, yeah, this plus Einstein, who was a douche, and it, so it saddens me that he's coming along to our heaven. Um, his theory of relativity being applied to time warping means that time either isn't linear or it's, like, folding back on itself or it's happening simultaneously or, as the Internet says, like, everything happens so much. Is that or we're going around and around? Either way, this boils down to, at one point, we were stars in the heavens, and now we are people. And with time being all wibbly-wobbly, this means that people will be stars again, or we're currently stars and people. But the fact is, like, we are all in heaven right now, have been, and will be. The key message being, scientists are people, all people go to the heavens, thus scientists go to heaven, the other team may as well go home. <laughs> But, you know, it's been a year at home by myself, so <laughs> <laughs> let's do the rest of this speech. What about heaven as in not the stars, the one with, like, God or gods and the loose-fitting outfits, the fluffy white clouds, which, as of the last 10 years, are filled with other people's data. So, <laughs> thus redesignating certain parts of heaven as hell due to the risk of falling into a 3,000-picture file of someone else's holiday. <laughs> So that place, scientists go there too. Like, do, do they go there? Well, yes, obviously yes, definitively yes, and not just because i am been randomly assigned to argue that it does. <laughs> <laughs> so what would it look like? So Alfred Noble, you know that guy, he'll be reunited with his brother Emil. Do you know about Emil? Yeah, because he died at 21 <laughs> because Alfred blew him and a couple of other scientists up while experimenting with nitroglycerin. 
So um, I guess they'd meet in heaven because like everyone goes there. So no, this, no hard feelings, Alfred, says Emil. I know I was only 21. I know you didn't mean it. And it's probably worth it. So like, how did the rest of your life work out? Oh, you know, like I finally perfected the recipe for dynamite. Um, and they named a bunch of awards after me, including one for peace. <laughs> so yeah, that's waiting for us. <laughs> That's probably happening right now, actually, based on the theory I articulated earlier. <laughs> Similarly, people who build off each other's work could finally meet and have a chat, which is, you know, like, that's nice. John Snow, physician, not the other one. <laughs> Early founder and developer of epidemiology, anesthesia, medical hygiene, and let's face it, massive overachiever, who did all of this before dying too soon at the age of 45. One of the things he's known for is stopping a cholera outbreak. So he did this by figuring out that it was being spread by water. So he actually came up with such a convincing argument that he went to the council. The council took the handle off a pump that provided water to the whole community. And that actually stopped the spread of cholera at the time. So he saved a whole bunch of lives. So naturally, after the epidemic stopped, the government then put the handle back on and said, actually, the whole water theory was crap because it would have been politically bad to acknowledge that there was feces in the water. But fortunately now, politicians always prioritise public health and scientific knowledge over a political gain. So we've come a long way. <laughs> anyway, Jon Snow, that guy's in heaven. I'm probably playing cards with Jonas Polio Vaccine Sulk and Ignis Hand Hygiene Semmelweis, along with some of the many, many people who had lives as a result of their work. So a quick note on Semmelweis. Who's heard of him? Thank you. Um, it's sad. Brace yourselves. Um, <laughs> In case you didn't know, his whole thing was saying that, hey, maybe doctors should wash their hands after they do autopsies and then don't like, touch babies right afterwards because that's gross. Yeah, um, he was mocked, sent to an asylum where he was beaten and died shortly afterwards. Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> so I realised that under our model, um, all of those shit people are in heaven too. But here's the thing. We're looking at this scientifically at all different possible definitions of heaven. So in the scenario of heaven being a place, like a good place where you go after death, you're going to be there for eternity. So life relative to all of time is actually quite short. So the idea that you have to be good to go to heaven, that heaven is a reward, doesn't actually make sense. So heaven is a place, if it exists, you're going to be spending a lot of time there and be forced to confront the things you did in your life. Those people, the ones who sent Semmelweis to the asylum, won't just have to face him. They'll have to admit that they were wrong, like the irrefutable facts that they were wrong. And they have the rest of eternity to become better people. Well, that was words at the end of that sentence. <laughs> so then you might ask, is them being there going to diminish the experience of heaven for Semmelweis and thus make it not heaven? So honestly, I can't speak for him, but I can say this. If it exists, like, it's not a literal place, which means it can be as big as you want. We don't necessarily all go to the same one. It's kind of your own thing. Like, your own heaven is your own thing. You can be separate from all the people you hate, like Einstein. <laughs> so it doesn't need to be one big cavernous place. And so he could never see them. He could... See, they're learning. He can just choose how he does that. So, yeah, I've solved that. That's done. <laughs> so, this is science. Like, it's not about deserves. It's about yes or no. It's not does this person deserve medical treatment. It's can we give it or not. This isn't do scientists go to heaven. It's scientists go to heaven, yes or no, and clearly it's yes. <laughs> so, here's another point. If there's a god or a god who created all life, that being or beings created scientists specifically to ask questions and to poke around at the edges of the world to observe, to hypothesize, to test, and to make pea plants have sex with each other so we can learn about inherited traits. <laughs> so if he's in heaven, he'd want us there with him, if, no, if for no other reason than for the dinner party conversation. So, hey, Mendel, he'd say, pass me the peas and let's talk Punnett squares. 
Do you mean making little jokes about right-angled equilateral quadrilaterals, I say? (laughs) The silence, it grows all-consuming and no one wants to make eye contact. The butter starts to melt and I start to wonder, not for the first time, does that mean cows are in heaven? So, you know, like... (laughs) So, you know, pun et squares, like little puns about squares... <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if there's a microphone on the side that just came from behind me, but it was it was pains. So, in that moment, God considers inventing hell. Also, I'm not sure why I'm dead in this scenario. Oh wait, it's because of that theory, um, and it's happening. It's happened. It's already happening, and also re- relativity. So, <laughs> sorry for proving we're all dead as well. <laughs> So the point is, and here come all the ifs again, if God exists, he made scientists, and so if heaven exists, it makes sense he'd want to talk to them, maybe argue with them or, you know, get some pats on the back for all the stuff he did as they discuss all the minutiae of how things down on earth work. So, like, why eight legs on a spider, you could ask? Well, that's an interesting story, he'd say. I need to answer through song. (laughs) He pulls out a... He pulls out a ukulele. I'm sorry, I don't know why I keep turning this heaven scenario into a hell scenario. (laughs) It's probably something wrong with my personality that I cannot wait to work out with God via accordion duet. (laughs) And okay, so what if God hates questions? What if there's a devil and the questioning comes from him, not God? Well, if that's the case, then frankly, hell seems like it would be a much more interesting place and thus would be heaven to me. So that's also solved. (laughs) To wrap up, ultimately, this thing is decided by the loudness of clapping at the end. I don't have a clapometer other than Atlanta. Um, so that means you all get to choose. So while I would never deign to tell you what to do, I just want to sum up with this. Yeah, and he's, like, we're not saying he's great. We're just saying that we're, we're all going to hang out with him for a long time. Um, so I just want to sum up with this. My team is saying that all of us, scientists included, go to heaven, whether that be the skies or just a generally good place, like your ideal place. The other team, by disagreeing with us, are quite literally telling you all to go to hell. (laughs) So do with that what you will. (laughs) Elizabeth Flux! I think we might all need a drink after that. Uh, so we're going to take a 15-minute intermission. Please go to the bar and, and generously daub yourself with liquids. We will be back uh, at, at 5 past 9. Well done, everyone. kick on. Uh, I hope you've had some time to digest both a delicious meal and Elizabeth's universe-splitting explanation. We're going to keep moving straight on to our second negative speaker. Nicholas J. Johnson is a science communicator, a magician, an author, and a con man. Basically, he's just a liar. 
but he does use his lies for good, not evil, dispelling scams and cons to the general public. His children's book, Tricky Nick, was shortlisted for an Aurealis? I don't know if that's a children's book category, but I'm glad that you won. Anyway, welcome to the stage, Nicholas J. Johnson. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Do scientists go to heaven? That's what we're here to talk about uh, tonight, and I believe that is what Elizabeth was talking about. Um, um, I took some notes, and then then about halfway through, I realized I was drawing a picture of God playing basketball, um, which made me feel disrespectful, and then I was sort of, it was confirmed by my teammates that was pretty much on brand, so I'm okay. We need to really hear t- tonight is that this is this is a this is a debate by scientists and science communicators for scientists and science fans, uh, and really the only acceptable answer to the question tonight is the scientific one. It is the empirical answer that we can measure with the data that we have at our disposal. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So we can't sort of like pussyfoot around with weird literary definitions of words. Like, can you imagine a study where it's like, yes, we're talking about heaven, but it's sort of like the metaphorical of the sky heaven. It's like, by atom, what I really mean is, like, no, I'm sorry. We're talking about the biblical version of whatever your Bible may be, definition of heaven, the one that is first in the diary referring to paradise. Of course, that's what we're doing. We can't just sort of base arguments on Doctor Who wibbly-wobbliness or kind of a rambling synopsis of season one of True Detective or most of season four of The Good Place. We we can't make bizarre circular arguments about God made us and God made heaven, therefore God wants us to be in heaven. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I made my children, yeah? I also put together my, you know, my TV cabinet. I don't want them in there. (laughs) Saying God wants everyone there and also Alfred Nobel, a man who started the Nobel Peace Prize because they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead uh, and printed a, a, um, an article in the paper that said, the merchant of death is dead. And he started the Nobel Peace Prize as basically a publicity stunt. That, that is a true story. That that man is in heaven because everyone is in heaven and therefore heaven is okay to have bad people there. And I would now just like to refer you back to the picture of God playing the basketball. So let's get down to science. Do scientists go to heaven? Owen has shown that no one is going to heaven. So where do they go? Well, they go into the ground and they rot into nothing. <laughs> Just like all of you will one day. It's your grave, you dig in. It's fine. Go for it. That's a bad, really, thing to say to a group of people who are just out for a, an evening of entertainment on a Thursday night. It's also, I've discovered, a bad thing to say to your seven-year-old daughter. Um, okay, in my defence, we have a minor bird problem. Uh, sorry, we, have a, we don't have a minor bird problem. We have a minor bird problem. Um, it isn't a very big problem, so technically it's a minor, minor bird problem. Uh, 
In spring, our house is invaded by minor birds. They nest in the walls and they, um, they, they breed like crazy. And then they start, they, they, they young start attacking like anyone and everything. So technically that makes it a, a minor, minor, minor bird problem. And they dig up the garden and that, no, I'm not going to go that far. Um, they swoop the cat, they destroy plants. Uh, they kill wildlife, uh, they, they drop other baby birds uh, on, on the driveway where they get run over by cars. It is horrible. So when I discovered a, a dead minor bird on my front doorstep, killed by my cat, I was torn. On the one hand, I don't like the idea of my cat killing wildlife. On the other hand, fuck minor birds. <laughs> it's a bit like King Kong versus Godzilla. Like, they're both invasive species, but you kind of have your favourite, so... And my daughter asked me, she looked up and said, because she saw this dead bird, said, Dad, do birds go to heaven? And I said, no. They go in the ground and they rot away into nothing. <laughs> she panicked with that. I panicked at her response and said, just like we all will one day. <laughs> and that is how I came to be having a funeral for a minor bird. Now, <laughs> it should have been easy. You dig a hole... You, recite, you, know, you, you put the bird in, you recite Emily Dickinson's Hope is a Thing with Feathers, you sprinkle some wildflowers and then play Sarah McLaughlin's cover of Blackbird and that's a day. I couldn't get past digging the hole. I stuck the trowel in and the handle snapped off in my hand because our soil is just clay. It's like a brick, yeah, like a meter down, just solid. So I had to get the handle and just sort of scrape out a ditch. That didn't work, so I poured water on, like hosed it down, pulled out the slop, threw the bird in, chucked the slop kind of back on, where it quickly dried over the form of the dead bird, so it looked like a sort of an edgy teenager's Year 9 art project. <laughs> and so at that point, I said, I need to do something. And that's something, ladies and gentlemen, is I needed to compost. Now, there's a lot of options <laughs> for composting, yeah? We've got the traditional black bin, the tumblers, the subterranean systems. We've got the... The, I've forgotten what it's called, Bukaki, is that Bukash, whatever it's called, <laughs> system on the bench. And, but I, like, like Owen, I also have ADHD and I do not have the mental space for that. So someone said, no, just dig a hole. So I went and bought a shovel. I dug a hole and I started putting kitchen stra- uh, scraps in. I did this every few days and two weeks later, I got bored and stopped doing it. <laughs> but then... I suddenly thought, I wonder what's happening with those first scraps. I dug them up. They were gone. They weren't there anymore. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have been a professional magician for 30 years. (laughs) And I've never seen anything that miraculous in my life. So I became obsessed. Anything that could be composted was composted. Did you know, it doesn't have to be just like fruit and vegetables. Anything that used to be alive can be composted. So I, you know, fruits and vegetables, I started chucking cheese in, I put meat in, apparently you got to sort of get it, you know, down, like I dig it deep in the ground, it didn't matter. And then I was thinking paper, pizza boxes, snotty tissues. I started getting trouble from my children because art projects and unfinished <laughs> snacks were being composted. Two days after Christmas, I was outside with the Christmas tree trying to dry it out in order to use the dry pine needles because I had been told you've got to get a mixture of the browns and greens, you know, you've got to get the, green, you know, the nitrogen and the carbon, and this is all very important. So I continued doing this you know, over and over and over again, over months, until one day I took my shovel, I dug it into the ground, I lifted up, and I had worms. Now, ladies and gentlemen... 
Worms are the one thing every composter wants to show up in their garden. That's like, like opening a cafe and having broadsheet uh, like show up to cover it. <laughs> and so I was very, very excited by this. And it just doubled all of my energies. I became obsessed. I, I started like going to the neighbor's house when they weren't home and stealing their rotten fruit <laughs> off the ground uh, from their fruit trees. And, and, and I started offering to mow the neighbor's lawn because I wanted the grass clippings. Uh, until one night, I found myself outside uh, at one in the morning applying a, a, uh, a, an organic uh, nitrogen, uh, liquid nitrogen, uh, sorry, a, an organic liquid, comma, nitrogen supplement, <laughs> or as my wife, wife called it, pissing on the garden like an animal. <laughs> when I had this extraordinary uh, Lion King circle of life moment. None of these things that I had buried in the ground had disappeared. They were still there. They were still there. They had just changed into a form that I didn't recognize. Because I now had the perfect compost. The perfect compost is, you know, so you can lift it up, you hold it, you let go, it holds its form for a fraction of a second and then crumbles away. Yeah? That's what you want. And that's what I had. All of this stuff hadn't gone anywhere. It had just transformed into something else. And that is really what is going to happen to all of us. Yeah? We are just going to transform into something else. As humans, we are obsessed with this collection of cells and kind of holding it together. You know, we are literally like that clump of compost. Just It's going to hold its form for a second and disappear into nothing. But really, we are just going to continue in a form that we hadn't previously recognized. Um, I, have some, I have a couple of quotes, so we've just got to make sure I, I, I get to the, the quotes, otherwise like, you get in trouble. Um, <laughs> now, the, the first speaker tried to sort of limit this kind of where we transform and go, you know, to just the sky, but that's not the way it works. We, we transform and we go into everything. As the, uh, the French physicist uh, Antoine, I want to say Leviosa, um, <laughs> taught us, matter is neither destroyed nor created, it, it only transformed. And he is now transformed into purple and yellow pansies that surround his grave in Paris. Carl Sagan, as has been mentioned before, you know, said that the cosmos is within us all. We are all made of stardust. But after that, he is now feeding a lawn in California. Marie Curie believed that we should focus less on people and on focus more on things and how they work and how they are connected. And she is now, actually, she is not going to be growing anything in quite some time. <laughs> It's like, it's 1,500 years, they buried that, 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 uh, they buried that woman in a lead coffin. <laughs> so what I discovered while standing in the garden, pissing on my compost, is that I was wrong. That, yes, we, we, we do not die going to the ground and then rot into nothing. We die... We go into the ground, and then we rot into everything. Thank you very much. Nicholas J. Johnson. I just want to say thank you for your service, Marie Curie. We're up to our third and final speaker for the affirmative. Sam Peterson, after seven years as a stand-up comic, is now a director uh, and producer based in Melbourne, having worked on film, radio, podcasting, marketing and live comedy. He's produced for ACAST, Nova Entertainment, ABC, Viceland, SBS and Channel 31 Triple R. 
and has done a bunch of live shows. He's currently hosting the podcast Confessions of the Idiots, where each week he reads weird confessions he gets guests to pick apart. Make some noise for your final speaker for the affirmative, it is Sam Peterson. Hello, uh, my name's Sammy P. It's great to be here. Great to meet all of you tonight. Uh, I, that was not meant to sound sarcastic. Um, every, everything I say with my voice just happens to sound sarcastic, and I'm very sorry about that. Uh, we are arguing affirmative today with the great Jess, the great Elizabeth. We are arguing affirmative that scientists, and indeed everybody, do go to heaven. Where do you think they go? How? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just gauging the room right now. Holy shit. Uh, no, but I do believe, of course, of course. And we're not saying that everything in the Bible is correct. The Bible, God's, God's first book and only book that he ever wrote because it was so good. Uh, it is still an international bestseller today. It is absolutely huge. And we're not saying, you know, everybody embellishes their CV. They are fantasiful stories. And I think we can learn a little bit, you know, talking snakes. What the heck, man? <laughs> but he's having some fun mucking about. And there's nothing wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. He, he wrote this book, this amazing, amazing book that I have read cover to cover many times. Uh, just the cover. Uh, no, just mucking about having some fun. It is. No, I, I love the Bible. I'm a big fan. And, you know, he did not need to write a book after that. Uh, Dan Brown should have bloody listened, am I right? <laughs> Observational humour from 2006. Thank you so much. Um, no, but I don't... I, I strongly, strongly believe that, that scientists and, indeed, everybody go to heaven. I mean, we actually have a scientist on our panel. And, and Jess, do scientists and everybody go to heaven? Yes, they do. Case closed. Uh, that is huge, if true, and it's bloody true. Uh, absolutely nailed it. Well, you have heard from the lying, sorry, the negative uh, team tonight, uh, not the correct team, and you heard from Owen, first of all, who did a wonderful little experiment, a relevant experiment, where he got you to raise your hands. I'm so sorry he made you do that. You were trying to have a fun night out. All of a sudden, you've got to help. You kind of feel like one of the bored kids he talks to at the aquarium. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Didn't come here for a lecture, pal. <laughs> Came here for a bloody good time, am I right? <laughs> I'm mucking around having some fun. But he did. He told you all of this stuff, all this irrelevant information. All of this stuff. It doesn't make any sense. We're not saying that God is a good person either. We didn't say that. We've never said that God is a good person, you know. Old Testament God, fucking psycho. Uh, New Testament, easing up a little bit, you know, because you can get better with age, like a bigoted uncle. Oh, you know, you can you can get better with age, of course, absolutely. We're not saying that God is a good person. I mean, he's a little bit, little bit self-obsessed, if I'm honest. I mean, you know, he created the world in six days, rested on the on the on the sixth day. Uh, sorry, seventh day, because he's very tired. Sorry, did read cover to cover. Uh, you can tell. <laughs> But he rested on the sixth day because he was tired. It takes a lot out of you, of course. We're not going to go into the working week again, Scout. I did muck that up. Uh, but, we, but, yeah, he, he did so many great things. And then, you know, we expanded on that. We expanded on that as people. We took what he created and as scientists of the world made it 
better. Took it as their own. Thank you for nodding. I only noticed you nodding then. I was like, absolutely nailed it in my head. I was like, I think I've got them back. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, not a good person. I mean, he is so self-obsessed, God. So self-obsessed. Like, wanted people to sing songs about him all the time. And you'll never guess what he called them. Hymns. Like, he is, he is so self-obsessed. But the Bible, big fan of the Bible, and I've got a verse, I've got a verse here uh, that I will read to you, and it's a wonderful verse from the Bible, uh, and I will read you something from, from John, all scientists go to heaven. Um, oh, sorry, that's not, that's not from the Bible, that's my friend John that messaged me before the show. Uh, all scientists go to heaven, but no, this is actually from the Bible, from Psalm, one of my favourite verses, uh, big fan of this one. Okay, Psalm's speaking up. Uh, Great are the works of the Lord, studied and expanded by all that delight in them. These are the closest to the Lord. So, case closed. <laughs> Mucking about having a bit of fun. But, but Owen made a lot of points. He just kept talking and talking, and he's not even a real scientist. And, you know, but then, then Nick got up, you know, and the most we learnt from Nick, who is a magician and self-described con man, uh, so believe what you want to believe, <laughs> scientist, writer, podcast host. Um, <laughs> does, yeah, does, does not get better than that. Um, all I learnt from Nick was that he has worms and did a eulogy for a shit bird. <laughs> that is it. That is completely all that I heard from Nick. Con man. Sorry, Nick. But it does say that on his website, 100%. So. And I think, you know, we haven't heard from Scout yet. We haven't heard from Scout. I think the only thing we've discovered about Scout so far is that they did debate whether or not to come back after intermission. That was the only... Because you felt like you lost. And that hurts sometimes. I kind of think, in a lot of ways, that God kind of is the greatest scientist of all. Kind of is. I did see someone up the front go, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, I'm going there. Yeah. His son, Jesus Christ. Wow, huge. <laughs> but yeah, I think he was the greatest scientist in the world. And one of those who went and carried out his teachings after him to be the closest to him. Because it's all trial and error, what God did. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Dinosaurs, they were a bit shit, move on. <laughs> Create something else, Ice Age, move on again. But he kind of is the greatest scientist of all. We're not saying that the team have said so many times, the wrong team, the incorrect team, have said so many times about heaven saying you shouldn't use definitions. Well, what else should we bloody do? Am I right? All right. <laughs> I've got better stories. <laughs> but, you know, I, I kind of think... I've been watching a lot of Boston Legal recently. <laughs> I have. I'm not going to lie about something like that. I'm not these guys. <laughs> I'm going to just flat out lie to you. I've been watching a lot at Boston Legal, and what is said in Boston Legal quite a lot, to win cases, hell yeah, I'll take, I'll take note, <laughs> they say beyond reasonable doubt. 
No one can prove a goddamn thing beyond reasonable doubt. I think we've won tonight. And the way that you clap tonight, so you do decide. You do decide by clapping who has won tonight. You do decide that. And what you're saying, if you agree with us, is that you and all of your loved ones go to heaven. (laughs) Scientists and everyone go to heaven. But if you're going with them, those people with a con man on the team and not an actual scientist and writer and podcast host. Don't forget that. Very important. I studied a long time. (laughs) What you're saying, if you agree with us tonight, if you clap loud enough, you will say, yeah, we go to a better place. Whatever your definition of that better place is, it may not be the pearly gates, but it's something. That means a lot to me. And I hope it means a lot to you. Please vote me as vice president. I feel like I'm... (laughs) I don't know a lot about science or law or clearly debating. (laughs) But I can tell you one thing. There must be something better out there than what we're experiencing right now. Not talking about the debate in particular. Do not get me wrong. Sorry, Atlanta. (laughs) Just like to read you one more thing. Make the right decision or you hate your friends and family. Um, That was my friend John again. I've been Sammy P. Have a wonderful night. Make the right choice. Thank you so much. Sam Peterson! May this debate go to a better place. We're up to our final... Debater for tonight, how do we feel about that? You just said yes. What does that... Is that a... Well, you've already decided. You haven't heard Scout's arguments yet. Is that very scientific? You've got enough evidence. Okay. No, I'll take that argument. Well done. I'll stop grilling the front row. Uh, We're up to our final speaker for the negative. Scout is fresh from being nominated Best Newcomer at 2021 Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Just that small thing. A couple of months after doing their first open mic in 2018, they made it to the national finals of Raw Comedy Competition and then went to France to study clowning at Ecole Gaulière. <laughs> when they're not performing, Scout can be found unionising their workplace, <laughs> practising witchcraft or hitting nerds with fake foam swords at LARP. Live action role play. Make some noise for Scout Foxall! <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I will firstly apologise for my uh, lateness back into the debate. Obviously, I had total faith in my team to just crush it. They didn't need me there. Um, But also, I did kick off the night with a very strong backstage cocktail of one and a half glasses of white wine, a Diet Coke, three Nurofen and a couple of darts. So, I was just getting some air. (laughs) Which I think is best for all involved. Look, before I kick off, I want to start with a quote of my own. Life is tragic. You are tiny, flawed, ignorant and weak. And everything else is huge, complex and overwhelming. Jordan Peterson. (laughs) This debate has been both clarified and hamstrung by the common concession by both teams that there exists a heaven and there have been very few attempts by both sides to actually characterise what such a heaven would look like. Would it be an interminable dinner party? 
Is it a Talmudic olam haba or garden of Eden? Is it a Catholic end to eternal guilt and ultimate deliverance to a world of supreme happiness? Is it nirvana? Is the ancient Egyptian field of reeds where hearts are weighed against feathers of truth? Or is it simply a Bunnings? <laughs> where you can find everything you need the first time without having to ask an 18-year-old with a $70 mullet and stick-and-poke eyebrows where to go. I would argue personally that Jehovah's Witnesses have got the right idea about heaven as well as blood transfusions and the idea that Christ was not crucified on a cross, he was simply stuck on a big stick, like a kind of Roman kebab. According to the Jehovah's Witnesses, there is room for only 144,000 souls in heaven. When Christ eventually returns to this mortal realm, he will raise up those who have lived by his teachings. Unfortunately, the Jehovah's Witness itself boasts 8.7 million members. So by anyone's standards, it is going to be a bit of a shit fight to get into the big guy upstairs. Now, we have spent on the negative team tonight, much like Christ himself, I would argue, martyrs subjecting ourselves to the slings and arrows of the affirmative's pathetic attempts at argument. We have been Sisyphus, rolling a boulder up a midden of uncomposted shit, piled high by the affirmative side, only to see them push it down again. We have been Penelope, constantly weaving together the chaotic threads of half-baked notions and logical fallacies from the affirmative team into a tapestry of some sense, only to unravel them again as we wait for our suitor. But sweet audience, dear audience, gentle audience, I will try and make some sense of it before I finish this debate in the only way I can, and that is simply to set the entire thing on fire with a series of gentle character assassinations. (laughs) We turn to the first speaker affirmative, the good doctor, who set up science as an infallible, all-encompassing, powerful and governing presence. Everything is science. Heaven is part of everything. Therefore, scientists are in heaven now. (laughs) Unfortunately, this debate has somehow deteriorated into the idea that this is now a referendum on whether anyone gets into heaven. I do appreciate that the good doctor managed to carry off saying everyone's just operating at a different energy which in a white lab coat sounds very smart. (laughs) But I've heard very similar arguments coming out of a barefoot man with an acoustic guitar at a terrible house party in Coburg. (laughs) So appearances can be deceiving. She said that the soul and molecules are somehow the same thing. We have not even touched tonight on the duality of the soul and the body, and I think that is quite frankly above our intellect here as debaters. (laughs) She spoke about near-death experiences. And also, I should point out that the only scientist on this panel arguing for her own admission to heaven should be suspect in the very least. (laughs) Near-death experiences are scientifically impossible. Well, it looks like science has got some limits. What else did I have here? Heaven is the architecture of the universe. Yes, we we leaned very heavily into the 2010 Tumblr aesthetic tonight. (laughs) We are all but stardust, trying to find our constellation. (laughs) Well, that's very nice. 
a robust evidence-based approach to a place no one has seen, no one has been to and returned from. The idea that a scientist would set her up as a, as a point of virtue or authority in this debate is simply laughable. Indeed, her entire argument was that scientists are virtuous and therefore are getting into heaven. This was something we heard a lot from the affirmative team. And then they said, actually, it doesn't matter uh, because everyone's going to heaven anyways. So they have sort of undone themselves there, but um, we appreciate the own goal. <laughs> On the negative at first speaker, we kindly conceded that a heaven should exist and simply that scientists can't be found there. Indeed, no one can be found there. And at first speaker, we explored the compelling theory of angelic and divine doormen, like St. Peter, the celestial bouncer condemned to an eternity of checking moral baggage and asking what people's star sign is to check their IDs. <laughs> I think, honestly, this debate comes down to the question of whether God wants any of us up there. Do you think that the God who presides over this earth is a gentle, kind and logical God? Or do you think he is, as we would argue, a salty little bitch <laughs> who chooses to exclude scientists from his petty kingdom. Heaven is not for everyone. Well, I'd argue heaven isn't for anyone. At second speaker on the affirmative, we had something about a trailer of what comes next being hypoxia. Say, it's not about deserves. It's a yes or no question. If it's not about deserves, then we can throw out their entire argument about scientists getting into heaven on the basis of virtue. Thanks for the own goal. <laughs> what else did we have here? God made us. God made heaven. Therefore, we're in heaven. Several logical leaps there, which I didn't quite follow. I could use smaller words next time. Sorry? Use smaller words next time. <laughs> use, use, thank you. I'm so dumb. Oh, I'm crazy. Comedy clown. What's this? That's what 1200 bucks gets you in France, people. That's, that's good clowning. <laughs> we had the touching story of Alfred Nobel's dead brother. Again, some more pontificating on the virtuosity of science and scientists. I can use big words. <laughs> some glancing nods at a cyclical existence. Time is a flat circle. And the idea that eternity in heaven improves you. I would argue anyone here who's been on an eight to seven hospo shift would know that the amount of time you spend doing one thing does not necessarily make it an edifying experience. <laughs> At second speaker on the negative team, we argued that even if God were a gatekeeping cunt, scientists would not be reaching heaven, but simply returning to the universe that they spent their lives trying to understand. Everything turns to shit in the end. And scientists make for the finest shit. Nutrient-rich compost. Nothing ever truly dies. It simply changes. And the affirmative somewhat tried to hijack this argument by saying that actually they like to include the definition of heaven as the celestial realm, as the sky, as stardust. <laughs> we had the story about the minor bird. Great puns there. Can't argue with that. Thank you. Then we come to the third speaker affirmative. Mamma mia. <laughs> a staunch Christian, profligate and evangelist. Sammy P came up here and said, we never said God is a good person. 
He then decided to use the robust scientific method of asking one person with an undisclosed and vested interest whether they thought something was true. (laughs) He was reductive, blasphemous, defamatory, and then argued that God was the greatest scientist of all. He then put in a half-hearted nod to the legal standard of proof. When I'm not unionising my office or doing dumb clown shit... I work as a legal transcriptionist. I've transcribed probably tens of thousands of court cases. And I'd like to say that when the legal standard of proof, and we probably could have gone with the balanced probabilities on this one, but let's put that aside for the civil courts. Am I right? (laughs) When you employ the legal standard of proof, the onus is on the prosecution to prove something beyond all reasonable doubt. And I would argue that tonight you are a jury of our peers, very nice and hot ones. And that you would find that the affirmative has not proven beyond any reasonable doubt that scientists or even all people go to heaven. I'd now like to turn to the personal sledges spec section of my, of my speech. <laughs> Sam Peterson seems at glance to be a formidable artist with two degrees, a comprehensive body of work behind him that offers powerful insights and musings on disability, sexuality, and the ways in which spaces constrain and infantilize wheelchair users. On closer inspection, when he arrived at this event, I realized I'd simply Googled the wrong Sam Peterson. (laughs) The Sam Peterson you see before you, more podcast than man at this point, (laughs) has also offered such gorgeous insights as he did on Twitter, saying, I guess you could say I'm above average, I ate 22 spiders in my sleep last year. He most recently helped create a series called Hug the Sun, which reconstructs a 90s play school-less children's show where the hosts are members of a cult that revolves around solar worship. Like this recovered footage of Hug the Sun, I found his arguments fragmented, poorly constructed, delusional and beyond comprehension. No VCR effect in posts can obscure the potholes and pitfalls of his feeble attempts to defame the magician on our team. There's been no sleight of hand. We have the good doctor, who might appear to be accomplished, highly intelligent and an authoritative source in this debate. Some might say she's the only one here with a real job. (laughs) And some might say that subjecting her to character assassination instead of engaging productively in her lines of argument is a coward's move. But I think it's important that you, the audience, have an accurate understanding of the affirmative team's credibility of witnesses in this trial as to whether any of us are going to heaven. The good doctor has spent much of her recent professional life dissecting the cognitive repertoire in mice to show that these cognitive components are differentially regulated by a family of postsynaptic scaffold proteins providing novel insights into the evolution of cognition. (laughs) First of all, who fucking cares? If a mouse wants to be smart, it's none of my business. You cannot tell me that teaching rodents to operate touchscreen devices and innovative behavioural tools isn't setting us up for a kind of Planet of the Apes situation. If anyone is trying to play God in this debate, it is this woman. If she even be a woman! Redirection. I will posit to you, rather conveniently and from the safety of my place as third speaker negative, (laughs) that the good doctor is actually being controlled by mice in a kind 
of Ratatouille situation. Nothing she said can be trusted. You've seen the mouse plagues in New South Wales. Imagine if they had phones. Imagine if they could organize themselves into a kind of terrifying rodent collective. It's the stuff of nightmares and Warhammer Skaven uprisings. It's a deep cut for any Warhammer fans in the crowd. I have little to add on Elizabeth Flux, only a tweet of hers that I thought was quite funny. Is there a vaccine from stopping me from waving goodbye at the end of Zoom calls? (laughs) Gentle audience, sweet audience, gorgeous audience, hot audience, (laughs) single audience. (laughs) Is there a Mr. Audience? (laughs) What you saw tonight from the negative team was nothing but fucking gold. We gave you logic, we gave you moving stories, we have a father on our team. He has a daughter waiting for him at home to tell him whether or not he won or lost this debate. (laughs) And from the affirmative, we heard obfuscations, multiple definitions of heaven, a mishmash of whether the admission of heaven is a question of virtue or a question of whether God is good or a question of whether anyone's getting in there, a question of whether we're there already. I would argue that we're definitely not there already. And I would argue that no one is going to heaven, including scientists. Thank you. Scout Boxall! Are we doing okay? Are we all right? Are we all doing a bit of self-care? It's been a very big night. Had the universe turned upside down more than one occasion. Are we okay? Yeah, good. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let's as Sam has put, let move to a better place after this debate. Uh, now, I'm just going to do a very quick summary of some of the arguments that you've seen before. Uh, as you, kind audience, uh, consider who was the victor uh, in tonight's debate, uh, we started with Dr. Jess, who uh, kicked off by shaming any non-scientists in the room, uh, which would have been a bold move had she not also stacked the audience. She then went on to explain that heaven is molecules because everything is molecules, which is one of those annoying answers that impressed the teacher in fifth grade. Owen dropped the knowledge on us that none of us are going to heaven. Uh, Put out the rules and the regulations that will stop us getting in there. They still sound more lenient than getting out of my gym membership. Elizabeth, a bit early in the evening, dropped the theory of relativity on our asses. Everything is everything all of the time, again and again, always was and always will be, is the sort of argument that doesn't leave much space for anyone else. It's a bit greedy. (laughs) Something about God having a ukulele, uh, which was like a whimsical band-aid over the gaping wound that Elizabeth had just ripped in the fabric of time and space. Nicholas Johnson has worms. and that we change into everything which was just starting to sound eerily like Elizabeth's argument and as a point I started to get quite upset (laughs) (laughs) Sam rebutted Owen for talking and talking when that was actually what I asked Owen to come and do tonight (laughs) 
God is a scientist, which again was where my headache started to get a lot worse. Scout dropped some secret law skills on us, which they didn't pick up in France, and you were there for the rest of it. That brings us up to now. <laughs> Life is full of surprises. Um, now, while you're all cogitating on the outcome of tonight's debate, I'm going to throw quickly to our debaters, is there anything you would like to spruik, uh, let people know about, uh, that they can go and find out after we exit this room? Yeah, I, uh, I think I mentioned I have a podcast, and um, <laughs> I think I made that pretty fucking clear. And, uh, I, I have my first ever live show coming to three years. It's all about online confessions, and I find the weirdest online confessions on Reddit Every week, it's called <laughs> Confessions of the Idiots, and the first live show is coming up next week um, with Sir Peter Hitchener. He's not a sir, but I just call him that. Um, <laughs> Evie Jones, so many amazing people. Zachary Wayne from Arnie Donna. There's a lot of amazing people. So it's next Saturday at Comedy Republic, and there's uh, 10, 10 or so tickets left at oh. um, comedyrepublic.com.au. So if you want to go, it's, uh, it's a lot of bloody fun, and I will not be debating, so I promise you that. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you, Sam. Jess, anything to pitch? Well, I don't have a podcast, but I feel like I should start after tonight. But I just want to pick up on a, a comment that Scout made. She doesn't know, but I am secretly training mice with their iPads to take over the world. Okay. <laughs> uh, in particular, how we can actually use those to cure mental illness. So I'm really passionate about that work. So Scout, good work. I won't tell you whether there's a mouse. Well, now you've made me look shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love mental illness and hate mice. <laughs> She said it. She said it. Keep that in mind when you're clapping. Don't know if that strengthens uh, the side for you or not, Jess. All right, we're going to throw to the negative. Anything you want to pitch or spruik? Stop looking politely at each other. I, I cannot be seen to be promoting the place of work that was mentioned earlier, but if anyone wants to check out any exhibitions that happen to be at major public institutions to do with science, feel free to go and check out the website for major public institutions to do with science in Melbourne that work. Smooth. Well done, Nick. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to now. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I have a book. It's called Tricky Nick. Uh, it is my life story. It is completely true, um, even though it was nominated for a science fiction award. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> it, if, if you would like to find out why it is completely true and nominated for a science fiction award, you should buy it. It's called Tricky Nick. Excellent. Scout, yeah, you got anything? Suspense. Um, I, run a, I run a fortnightly comedy room called Hairbrush in Collingwood. It's pretty good. <laughs> Give it a go. <laughs> Short and sweet. I love it. Okay, it is over to you now, the audience. If you were convinced by the affirmative's argument that scientists are in fact going to heaven, make some noise. We have a sufficient amount of wooing. Okay, if you thought the negative took home tonight's debate in the bag and that we're all doomed to being buried in Nick's backyard <laughs> under a pile of slop that he's gathered from the neighbourhood, make some noise! <laughs>
Normally, I would run uh, that scientific test again and again and again until people started to beg me uh, to let them go home. But that was relatively comprehensive. I announce the winners of tonight's debate, the negative. Can I, sorry. I, can I just say, and this is legit, I, I have been doing comedy debates for 20 years, and this is, this is not a joke. This is the first time I have ever been on the winning team. <laughs> You have made Nicholas and Nicholas's daughter very happy. Uh, huge round of applause for the Brunswick Ballroom. Thank you so much for having us tonight. Huge round to Stive on Sounds. Huge round to all of our debaters. We've been absolutely bloody delightful. Uh, if you would like to see more SciFight, uh, you can head to scifight.com.au and sign up for the mailing list, and I'll let you know when we make the mistake of doing this whole thing again. Um, you've been a pleasure and a wonderful audience. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I hope you have a lovely time. See you at the bar. Good night. The Climactic Collective.